Thanks, Michelle, and it's good to see you, everyone. And if you're going to keep Revelation chapter 5 open, because we'll refer to that uh, as we look at God's word and see what he has to say. So let me pray, and then we're going to have a look at um, this great passage. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to uh, remember what you have done for us in Christ. Fill us by your spirit to trust you and to praise you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, last Saturday night, I uh, sat down to watch uh, with my wife and some of my kids, season three of The Mandalorian. Uh, it's, uh, if you don't know what that is, it's a TV series in the Star Wars franchise. Got some people going, okay. Uh, but as I started to watch, um, uh, I was struggling to catch on what was going on. The main character had reunited with another character and it just totally threw me. I couldn't remember what happened in the previous season. So I did the thing that I'm personally not a fan of. I started to talk while watching TV. And I, I'd say one of my pet hates, but I, I was confused. And so I started asking my wife and my kids, what on earth was going on? And I wonder if you've ever had that experience. Maybe you've stumbled on uh, in, into the middle of a TV series that a family member or a friend has recommended or is watching and you're asking, what's happened? Where's this going? Who are the main characters and where, are these the bad guys? Are they the goodies? And you just annoy people, don't you, by asking that many questions. But I wonder when it comes to your life, do you ever have those sort of same questions? you know, trying to make sense of actually what is happening to you. You might be in season four of an eight-season life. Sorry about that. That's, that. But you're wondering, where on earth is it going? Some of you might have just started the TV series and you're wondering, well, what am I supposed to do with my life? What's the point of all this? And then there's others of you who are facing the finale and you're thinking, what have I done with my life? And have I made a difference? Am I on the right story? Am I one of the good guys? Or am I one of the baddies? Well, how we make sense of our lives, I think is something that we all try to do. Um, but not only are we trying to make sense of the past, but we're trying to make sense of what's to come. And we ask the question and try to work out who do we turn to? to make sense of what is going on. And if you're an unbeliever here, and you might have a Christian friend who says to you, well, don't worry, God's in charge of history. And maybe they've done that to try to comfort you or reassure you. But maybe you found that unsettling. Maybe you're not even sure that God exists. And if you've, even if you were to entertain that God is in control, when you look around at our world, it doesn't really look like that. It seems like political leaders and the wealthy seem to influence what's going on. And you might wonder, well, how is God different to a dictator or a despot or anyone else who is hungry for power? Um, but maybe you're here and you do believe. And uh, you still, however struggle to find comfort knowing that God's in control and especially as you face suffering and tragedy. 
But this is where the Easter story helps us to make sense of history, both past, present, and future. At Easter, we remember that Jesus, God in the flesh, suffered and died, and of course rose to life. But it's this crucified God that Christians believe is in charge. And it's in God's book, the Bible, that covers the beginning of history all the way through to the end. And so as we particularly look at the death of Jesus, I hope to show you how he makes sense of history and where it's going. And by understanding our place in the big picture, we can rejoice, even in suffering. And of course, to help us do this, we're turning to God's word. And as we've heard it read um, by both Cindy and Michelle, we turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. And maybe you're a, you've been a churchgoer for a long time, you've come to Easter for a long time, and you've never thought that you would hear the last book of Revelation as we think about Easter. And because Revelation is a book that, you know, cults like to dine out on. And so you're probably a bit worried now, what's going to happen now? So keep you in suspense. Because there's lots of imagery, isn't there, in Revelation and lots of end time themes. But let me reassure you, the book of Revelation is primarily about Jesus. And its purpose is to comfort. To comfort followers of Jesus who are suffering from oppression and persecution. And in particular, when we look at chapters 4 and 5, the author John is given a vision of how history is playing itself out from God's perspective. And so John is taken up into heaven and he's shown this amazing vision of the throne room of God. This is not a vision of the ultimate heaven, but this is sort of the behind the scenes of what is now taking place and how it all fits together, and how we are to make sense of what's going on in our world. And so what does John see? Well, in chapter 4, John sees at the very centre, in heaven, God's throne. God's in charge, he is worthy, he is in the place of authority, power, and control. And this picture, although true, God sitting on the throne, ruling the universe, ruling the events of your life, and and mine, this picture is not complete. If we settle on this understanding of how history is made, then we will think that God is a dictator and a tyrant. And so what we need, we need more to this picture, which is what we get in chapter 5. We need the Easter story to inform what is going on behind the scenes. Because as we see in the next part of John's vision, we come across a problem which can only be solved by Easter. And the problem is to do with a scroll, not a cinnamon scroll as, as I first thought. Okay, that, I, I could solve that problem. But it's a scroll with writing on both sides and it's sealed with seven seals. Have a look at the problem in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 5. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. Why is this scroll so important? And why does it need to be opened? Well, remember, in chapter 4, God completely rules heaven. 
But the scroll entails the plans of God to establish his rule on earth. And so contained in the scroll are God's secret plans and purposes to undo and overthrow human sin and all that is evil, all that is destroyed and tainted, this beautiful creation God has made. But more positively, contained in this scroll are God's plans and purposes to get his creation back on track. So in other words, the scroll represents God's plans to undo human sin and deal with the problem of evil. But no one is worthy to enact God's plans. No one can come through. And of course, all humanity, because of our sin, we are complicit in rejecting God's rule and in turn damaging his world. And we're meant to feel the great distress that absolutely no one is worthy. There are no good guys in this story, or at least for now, and there are plenty of baddies. No one is worthy to tear the seals, because not even the mighty angel, not even him is worthy to even just take a peek inside the scroll. This is a hopeless situation. No one is worthy to rescue people and establish God's kingdom on earth. And the alternative, humanity must face God's righteous wrath because of our sin. And so the author weeps, and you can understand why when you have to face the the wrath of God, tears stream down his face. But thankfully the situation is not hopeless. There is one who is worthy and is powerful. Verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And so here the elders comfort John and call on him to look at this lion of the tribe of Judah. And that's just throwback to the first book of the Bible in Genesis. There's a prophecy in Genesis where out of the Israelite tribe of Judah, a king would come and he would rule the world. And the elder is saying to John, don't cry, stop weeping. Here comes the Messiah, God's king, the lion, he is worthy. He will open the scroll. And then there comes a great surprise. Have a look at verse six. But then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. Uh, when my kids were a little bit younger, um, they would try to scare me, okay, so they would do their very best, and I, I don't want to boast, but uh, I knew sometimes when they were scaring me, okay? Uh, you could tell, like, you know, when I go into their bedroom, they'd hide in the cupboard uh, or get under the sheets, but uh, to be honest, there were times where sometimes um, my, my kids would just pop, pop out, and, and, and I'd go, <laughs> and scare me, and I'd turn around, and, and there's this little kid laughing at me. John was told to look and see this mighty lion. Uh, And then when he turns and actually gazes on the lion, he's not a lion, he's a lamb. Uh, We're being told that Jesus is both this mighty lion and this meek lamb. And it's absurd. It's ridiculous. Someone so powerful and yet 
so weak. And yet, Israel had been expecting the Messiah to be all lion, you know, mighty, to come with military power, all conquering. And yet, Jesus doesn't push those expectations away. But instead, he turns them upside down. You see, Jesus sought to conquer. He sought to be victorious. But he sought to be victorious over the enemies of the world, sin and death, not by military might, but by loving sacrifice. And so on the night before Jesus died, he invited his disciples to to eat of the Passover meal. And on Good Friday, he would become the Passover lamb that was slain to take away the sin of the world. And it's because of this death, Jesus is worthy Verse 9, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Uh, Jesus is mightily victorious by becoming a crucified saviour. Jesus defeats sin and evil at great cost to himself. And we have this mixture of, 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 and paradox of both power and absolute weakness. But that's the beauty of the cross. Because see, he is worthy to open the scroll because of his sacrifice. It is because of the death of Jesus, he can triumph over sin and evil. And it's through his death, he can establish and free a people by redeeming a people, by shedding his blood to pay the price. He is worthy because he has implemented the plans for history contained in the scroll. And so see verse 10. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. It is only by Jesus dying that God's kingdom is established No longer are people to be ruled by sin, no longer facing God's wrath, but precious and global. This is is where history is heading. A people precious to God, a people of many nations, restored to serve God and change the world by ruling, not by abusing power, but by using their power to serve so when it comes to history, there is only one main character, and that is Jesus. He is the Lord of history. And history is heading towards the establishment of God's kingdom. And he is using and enabling people to serve God and build his kingdom. See, at the center of Jesus' plans is this weak-looking church, the people of God. The people of God are at the very center of God's plans because they have been freed by his death, freed from sin and evil in order to sacrifice. And so it is Christ's sacrifice that has reconciled people to God and so it is God's people who ought to be reconciled to one another. In the death of Christ, we see the kindness of Jesus in dying for us and so as people of God... As the church of God, we have compassion on others. The freedom that Jesus willingly went to the cross has brought us the freedom 
to serve. And it's all because Jesus is worthy of worship and praise. So that Jesus' death is, in fact, the center of history. It has impacted history. And it will be the subject of eternal praise of all of future history. So when it comes to, to our future, when it comes to making history, Jesus is at the center. And his followers can play their part in making history by establishing God's kingdom, not with brute force, but in the same way that Jesus established his kingdom with loving sacrifice. Now, Christianity may be dismissed, and maybe you're here and you've been, you, you might have done that. And Christians throughout the ages will ebb and flow in, in their influence. It'll increase and it'll decrease. But the kingdom will continue because of the loveliness of Jesus and Jesus' followers. Loving neighbor, costly sacrifice. So if you aren't a Christian, I hope you can see that Jesus is not simply a crutch to hold on to or something to believe in, but he is the centerpiece of all reality. And if you're not a Christian, I hope you can see how wonderful Jesus is, that despite being the king of the world, he uses his power not to create difference or distance between you and him, but he uses his power to bring you close to him by bearing your sin on the cross, to bring you forgiveness, to bring you cleansing, and to bring you peace. And so to finish, the death of Jesus has changed the world forever. 2,000 years and more, we still celebrate the worthiness of what Jesus has done. And this is where history is heading. Even when God's precious people in the church are belittled, dismissed, attacked, rejected and persecuted, at the heart of God's plans and purposes is God's kingdom and the church, the people who Jesus freed by his precious blood, living out and witnessing to God's kingdom. And so we don't live out our Christian lives focusing on the power of the, what, what the world displays, the brute force and violence, pressuring and shaming people to, to get in line with our ideologies, but instead we show ultimate power by living like our champion through sacrifice, faithfulness and obedience. This is where victory is won in weakness and even in suffering and hardship. This is where the victory is won by patiently enduring and we triumph when we lovingly sacrifice for others just like our king has done for us.